0: Welcome to Bitcoin Sermons, the podcast that preaches how Bitcoin is connected to the coming of Jesus. It's a fascinating topic, and I think it's like the elephant in the room that not many are really talking about, even though it's so obvious. Well, whether you're a Bitcoiner or a Christian or both, this podcast has something for you. In today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the news of this week, which is kind of exciting and very surprising. And that's the news coming from Argentina. Argentina has just elected a new president. And surprise, surprise, Javier Malay won the election. Now, Javier Malay is an interesting figure. He is, well, I'll be honest, in many ways, he reminds me of Donald Trump. Now, I'm not particularly a fan of Donald Trump, and I guess you could say I hesitate to be a fan of any politician on the grounds that it seems, this is my personal observation, it seems that no matter who is elected in modern governments, there are forces at work that are directing the situation in such a way that it doesn't really help who you vote for. In the United States, we've got the red and the blue, the Republicans and the Democrats. And generally speaking, they have become more and more polarized and kind of taking stands that are more and more contradictory. And it doesn't really matter which way you go. Either way, the nation has gone downhill. And just to kind of illustrate the point with the recent term of Donald Trump, many people, for example, Christians, people who have a certain moral inclination, shall we say, They voted for Donald Trump based on the hope that he would support them in a certain way, kind of a I scratch your back, you scratch mine kind of a deal, where with the support of evangelical votes, Trump basically promised to take away the prohibition against churches Getting involved in politics. And so Trump obliged. He did that and enabled pastors to preach politics, essentially. And that was kind of an interesting deal. And basically, it was tearing down the wall of separation between church and state in a certain sense. And, you know, the other thing about elections is that the way they are financed, it's to a large degree, it's just a huge propaganda machine. And there are companies, rich companies like FTX, that basically pour money into these elections, sometimes even both sides of the election. And just the whole thing has lost its foundation, in my opinion. And so politics particularly in presidential elections, is just, it's gone haywire. And so it's kind of to the point where whether the votes themselves are rigged doesn't really matter because the whole system is rigged. And like I was saying, it doesn't matter which side gets into office, because either way, there are forces at work that drive the country's Downhill. And I I was coming back to this point about during the time of President Trump, the Christians were aiming for an opportunity to turn the country more or less in a more positive direction morally. But in reality, under the Trump administration, the country actually went further down the path of demoralization. And it was during Trump's term that even more politicians of the LGBT and transgender variety came into office. So as a whole, the nation voted more and more against Christian values, biblical Christian values, and more and more in favor of the modern propaganda narrative and so did it help to elect trump not really not in the sense of turning the country in a positive direction there might have been some advantages in a certain way and any president will always appeal to some classes in terms of advantages that he brings to the office But that's exactly the problem, is that the whole political system has become one in which kickbacks, advantages, promises, benefits are traded in order to basically win whatever there is to be won. And so this whole system is just, it's a corrupt system in countries like the United States first world countries corruption has just become organized in contrast to other countries that are you know typically thought of as being more corrupt uh, such as those in South America in the Middle East in in any place where bribes for example are kind of a part of the culture That's typically seen by Western nations as being, you know, corruption. But the Western nations have just become corrupt in an organized way, which is actually worse because in a certain sense, the corruption is limited to powerful people. The ones who have the ability to take advantage of the systems that are in place to allow this kind of corruption in first world countries. Like, for example, it is just common in places like the United States to set up shell companies or in places all around the world, for that matter, um, to set up shell companies that can receive money under whatever pretext, and ultimately, you know, handle that money and do something with it under the guise of whatever this shell company is set up to look like. And it doesn't really matter so much what it's all about, because in a few years, that company goes bankrupt and disappears. And kind of the whole trace of what that money was doing through that shell company is lost and it just becomes unimportant because the company has gone out of business and the money has already uh, disappeared to wherever it was going. And so, you know, whereas in other countries, uh, money laundering is kind of really made to be an issue. Money laundering actually happens in a very organized way in countries like the United States. And so... You know, that's just kind of an example of how corruption has just become organized in the first world, whereas in the third world, it's much more disorganized. But corruption is corruption either way. And so all this is kind of just to make the point that I don't really trust politicians at all. But that said... It's very interesting what has happened in Argentina and the fact that Javier Millet has won the election. And that's because of the things that he stands for, some of which are very antagonistic to the existing order of things in the world in general. And that's, you know, part of that has to do with Bitcoin, which is you know, why it's particularly a topic for this podcast, but it's also something very related to morality, which is another reason why it's interesting as a subject for this podcast, because Christianity, in essence, is about morality. And one of the things that we are lacking so much around the world right now is Morality in the area of finances, and hence Bitcoin and Christianity come together on this topic. Okay, so Javier Malay has described himself as an anarcho-capitalist, or AnCap for short. Now that kind of sounds something like anarchy, but it really has nothing to do with anarchy. I'm going to read here. Anarcho capitalism from Wikipedia, just to give a clear definition for those who are not familiar with the term. It says, Anarcho capitalism is anti statist, so in some sense, against the state concept. All right, it's a libertarian political philosophy and economic theory that seeks to abolish centralized states in favor of stateless societies with systems of private property enforced by private agencies, the non-aggression principle, free markets, and self-ownership, which extends the concept to include control of private property as part of the self. Wow, now that's a mouthful, and it's packed with depth. OK, so let's kind of go over that in a little bit of detail and kind of unpack what that definition of anarcho-capitalism really means so that you have an idea of what Javier Milei is really standing for and why it's so amazing that he has been elected as the president of Argentina, a major country in South America. All right. So let's just start from the top again. Anarcho capitalism is an anti statist. Okay, so that means it's against the idea of using the power of the state to interfere in the affairs of the people in some sense. So, again, looking at this sort of with Bitcoin in mind, you can see how Bitcoin, for example, is a system that in principle is anti-statist in the sense that it functions entirely without the assistance of the state, without the enforcement of the state, and without needing the state to give it validation. Okay. So therefore it could be described as anti-statist. Okay. So ANCAP is an anti-statist, libertarian political philosophy. So that means it upholds liberty as a core value to maximize autonomy and political freedom. And these are, again, intrinsic to the way Bitcoin operates. It's an open system. Therefore, it provides equality and autonomy. And it's a system that transcends borders and is apolitical that it, it's not connected to political powers of course anyone can use it so people might use it for political means you know but there's nothing intrinsic to the system that connects it to a particular political ideology this is the point point. and so libertarianism also of course includes the ideas of freedom of speech freedom of thought freedom of choice All things that are intrinsic to Bitcoin being a system that is built on freedom of speech and that itself grants freedom of speech in the way that it operates. All right, so back to ANCAP being this anarcho-capitalism, being this libertarian political philosophy, and it's also an economic theory, okay? So hence the capitalism in the anarcho-capitalism. And this gets, you know, I mean, we can't really talk about the fact that it has capitalism in the name without first talking about the fact that capitalism itself has gone through a change. In the beginning, like, let's say, in the founding of the United States of America, capitalism meant something different than what it means today. The capitalism of the United States of America today is no longer the same as the capitalism that existed in the time of the founding fathers. And just to give one example, in the time of the founding fathers, the principle was that the individuals had the right over how to spend their own money, okay? That's capitalism. You own your capital, Okay, that's your capital, and you choose how to spend it. That's, in essence, what capitalism means. And the Founding Fathers understood that and treated that as meaning the state does not have the right to demand taxes. On the contrary, if the state or if a political body wants to raise money for any particular cause political cause. They would do that through fundraising and people out of the interest and conviction of their own self would give to those causes. And so it was entirely voluntary in contrast to the way taxes are levied on the people as a whole without them having any choice in the matter other than ostensibly voting for the taxes in the first place, which we'll have to talk about that. So capitalism at its roots is nothing like what capitalism is like today. Today, what we have is a system in which the ruling powers are uniting with industry, with the private sector. And in that way, the private sector in western countries is no longer private it is on the surface you still have companies and so forth but they are no longer able to govern their affairs as they were before as private companies they are under so many regulations and financial incentives that are driven by the state to the point that they are they have simply become Extensions of the state. And just to give the clearest example of that, we have the whole environmentalist agenda. You saw this with all the big investment firms and stuff. You saw that companies that didn't get on board with the ESG plan, environmental, social, and corporate governance, they were downranked and excluded from, basically, from receiving financial benefits, ultimately. That's what it boils down to. And therefore, to really be competitive in the corporate world, corporations had to get right on board with ESG. And in that way, you can see how the government, in this case, even the world government, has sort of commandeered the entire private sector to do its bidding. So we don't really have working capitalism in the West anymore. We have the forms, but it has morphed in such a way that in practice, the original principles upon which the nation, in particular, the United States was founded on are no longer in effect. They're on the books, so to speak, but those principles have no effect anymore. The United States is a capitalist country in name, and it has some residual structures and forms of capitalism. But in practice, it's no longer a capitalist country. It's no longer a free country. It's no longer a country where individuals or corporations even can control their own capital. Okay, so the economy is ultimately controlled by central forces that are, you know, making These, for example, ESG rules and things like that and pushing agendas like the LGBT agenda or the vaccination agenda or things like that. This is all coming top down in a centralized way. And that fights against the core concept of capitalism, which is that the individual can own capital. Okay, so that the individual is. Sovereign over his wealth, that he can obtain wealth, that he can obtain capital and hold that. And that's, of course, in contrast to socialism, in which the system doesn't allow individuals to possess. Instead, it treats things as being common property belonging to everyone, to the state as a whole, and not to individuals. That's historically, that was the opposite of capitalism. But in today's version of capitalism, as exemplified by the United States, it has swung over to the side of socialism, even when it's not so called. Typically, we associate the Democratic Party with the tendency toward socialism and the Republican Party as being the opposite. But the reality is that whoever's controlling the money is ultimately, quote-unquote, the state of a wider socialistic system. I don't know if that makes sense. In other words, the whole world has become more socialist through globalization and through a centralization of the power over money. And this gets to this whole concept of Klaus Schwab and these guys who say, you will own nothing and be happy in the new order of things. That is made possible by the centralization of the power over money, which you don't own anymore. Your money, if it's in a bank, is not your money. First of all, it's not even money, it's debt. And secondly, you don't have the control over it. The bank has the control over it. And behind the bank is even another power that, makes the policies that control the banks and so ultimately that power that's behind all of it is what ultimately controls all the money in the fiat world okay so i mean we're we're really delving into things here okay so i mean you know the world as a whole has become socialist but the problem with every socialist system one of the problems There are many. One of the problems is that there are a few people at the top who both benefit and control the system to the detriment of everybody else. These are all the types of things that Bitcoin fights against. And let's let's continue with this definition of anarcho-capitalism, and we'll see how that fits into this. So we've talked about the libertarian political philosophy and the economic theory that seeks to abolish centralized states in favor of stateless societies. Okay. Now, a stateless society is a society that is not governed by a state, obviously. Okay. And the point here is that the authority is not concentrated in the state. And this is kind of, The It's kind of going back to the past, this concept of stateless societies where there were no kings, so to speak. There were just people, farmers mainly, or uh, herders and so forth, who basically protected themselves and their herds and their farms and their possessions. And there was no state power. This is how things operated in the old days before there were governments before there were police forces before there were kingdoms all these modern forms of government and basically that system favored the strong okay if you were stronger you were able to protect your wealth better and that strength includes wisdom as well okay because through how you conduct yourself you can amass strength through numbers all right And basically, the bigger your clan was, the bigger your company was, so to speak, the better you could defend yourself and your property. And of course, the better you organized it, the better it worked. And in a certain sense, this system worked very well. But it was very unequal in terms of human rights. It was just more or less families scattered over the land that protected their own wealth, defended themselves against the malice of others, and basically just got along and survived without states being involved. Okay, That's, in essence, what a stateless society is. But anarcho-capitalism seeks to abolish centralized states in favor of a particular kind of stateless society in which there are systems to enforce private property, Unlike it was in the past where you had to enforce your own private property by defending it, okay? Instead, private property in these anarcho-capitalist stateless societies would be enforced by agencies, private agencies. Not government agencies like the police force, but private agencies. And these private agencies would use principles of non-aggression, including free markets, and self-ownership, okay, and those are key to non-aggression because the current system of things, if you just look at the police force, for example, the police operates on a principle of aggression, not non-aggression, and it's only through their authority that things can be handled in a peaceable way because people respect the police, they respect the laws which the police are there to enforce, and therefore, in a sound and healthy government, the police force actually does a good job of ensuring private property stays safe and protected, and that you don't have thieves or simply just more powerful people taking what rightfully belongs to others by force. You have the police in a healthy government standing opposed to that, and they are only aggressive, so to speak, to the aggressor in a just society. But the problem is that as the world has evolved to the way it is now, that system is breaking down because the entire system, the laws, the power structures, everything has become corrupt. The aggressor is now, in many respects, the state itself. The state is no longer there to protect private property. On the contrary, the state is seeking to take away the private property of its citizens, whether it be through taxes, through inflation, through development, or whatever. And through the control of the finances, they're able to do that using money in a way that is justifiable by law, yet in principle it's unjust. And so in many senses, the police force and the enforcement of law is itself unjust in today's societies. And therefore, this anarcho-capitalism seeks to kind of redefine that based on a non-aggression principle. And let's just look at the keys to that. One, One of those keys being free markets. Okay, so Free markets basically allow society to set the value of goods and services in a completely organic way that is not controlled and doesn't need to be controlled by any kind of authority. If you and I want to make an exchange and, uh, you know, we determine how much that exchange is worth on either side in order to make it fair, fair to us, what we consider fair, which is perhaps different than what any other two people are going to consider as fair. But to the extent that we have a free market, if I can get the same service from somebody else at a better price, I'm going to say, hey, your price isn't fair. I'm going to go to somebody else. And in that way, by selecting, by having that freedom, that free market to be able to select where you buy your goods and services, everything kind of naturally levels out and you end up with kind of a market value for general goods and services. And within that market value, it's kind of like sea level, okay? Market value is kind of like sea level. But just like how the sea kind of has waves, not every store has exactly the same price, even though it's a free market. There might be pockets here or there where the price is a little higher because of, uh, it could be delivery costs or a little bit more because of the terrain. It could be, you know, whatever factors influence the price you can have variations in the market value but as a whole gravity so to speak natural law kind of brings the prices into harmony into equivalence all right that's how free markets work and it's a beautiful thing it's as automatic as leveling the ocean nobody has to worry about if it rains harder on one side of the world than on the other side of the world you know, six months out of the year or whatever. Natural law just makes everything work. You don't have to worry about the ocean piling up on one side and then getting dry on the other side. Natural law, gravity, just makes everything find its equilibrium. That's a wonderful principle. That's the kind of principle that is so beautiful and simplistic that it makes governments look silly. Like, why do governments get involved with price controls and, you know, trying to regulate and, and do all this stuff when the markets can figure themselves out completely without their help in a much better way, much fairer. And that kind of, you know, brings me to the point that even though we have so-called free markets in many places in the world, the regulations on those markets are getting to the point where even though it seems in concept like a free market, the regulations themselves change the dynamic of the market and make it no longer a free market, not entirely free. Within the context of the regulations, there is some freedom, yes. But the regulations themselves put a burden on the market that may or may not be there in other similar markets and can cause disruptions. So, for example, you have the simple case of a commodity like Bitcoin, and this could be any commodity, but let's just use the Bitcoin example since that's our topic. And Bitcoin can be handled independently by individuals in what is typically called a non-KYC fashion. KYC meaning know your customer, which is one of the implementations of regulations in many places. And these regulations add a burden to the system, to the free market operation. And so because of that, the price for Bitcoin that's purchased on a market that involves KYC is different from the price of Bitcoin on a non-KYC market. Isn't that interesting? So you no longer have a free market because of regulations. That's an example of how what seems like a free market is not actually a free market, the more regulations get put onto it. Okay. So back to anarcho-capitalism, this is aiming to enforce private property through free market agencies. And that means really free market. Okay. (laughs) That means minimizing regulations. Okay. Minimizing state influence in those markets. All right. And Also, not only through free markets, but through self-ownership. Now, this is where both of these principles just come together beautifully in Bitcoin, because Bitcoin is transferable peer-to-peer, meaning any individual can simply opt into Bitcoin, simply download and use a Bitcoin wallet, and receive or send funds Directly with another person who has also independently, freely downloaded and is using a Bitcoin wallet. There's no application form that you have to submit to any central authority in order to start using Bitcoin. That gives it, in essence, the free market principle. Okay. Now, in certain contexts where regulations are controlling, that free market is disrupted. But in its most basic form, Bitcoin is a free market and nothing can really stop that because of its accessibility to the individual and the fact that you don't need any permission from any government organization or any organization to begin using it. Okay. So, That's the free market aspect of Bitcoin. And then on the other side is the self-ownership aspect. And something beautiful happens when you have the ability to own something yourself. That's what capitalism is, in essence. That's the capital in capitalism, is that you can own something. And that is a beautiful thing because all of a sudden, it gives you something that you don't have in socialism. And that's the ability to plan and execute on those plans. You can save, you can invest, you can build, you can accomplish things in the world according to your own imagination, your own initiative, your own planning. If all you have is a daily income that covers your food and your lodging, you can't really plan and do anything with that. You're just existing. But as soon as you have the ability to gain capital. And that can be as simple as being able to save the money you receive today and not spend it today, but save it to do something with it tomorrow when you have a little bit more accumulated. That's one of the most basic ways in which an individual in a capitalist system can begin to plan and execute according to his own intentions. And that is something that doesn't exist in the way that the world is headed. Especially when central bank digital currencies arrive, you will not have the choice to save your money. If you're given that choice, maybe you will have it for a time. But in the moment that the powers that be decide that the economy would be better off if you're spending your money instead of saving your money, then they simply put an expiration date on your money and all of a sudden you're obliged to spend it or lose it. You can't save it anymore. And even before the central bank digital currencies come in full force, you already can't save effectively because the money is devalued so much from day to day that you you can't really save over any long period of time in any meaningful way. So self-ownership has been almost completely eradicated from the current world. And people don't realize it because they still think they own the money in the bank or they own the dollars under their pillow, so to speak. But it's not so. When you realize how inflation works and the fact that on a moment's notice, your bank account value can be frozen or reallocated or whatever, you don't really own anything that you own that you think you own. And so Bitcoin restores to the individual The ability to truly own something. And that something is Bitcoin. Now, it doesn't immediately solve the problem of private property in general. But it at least provides one type of private property that you can own. That you can have and hold in your own possession. And that nobody can take it away from you against your will. Neither by force. Because it's an intangible thing that it's, you know, it's information. It's held in 12 seed words that you can guard in a way that nobody can take them by force. Nobody can knock on your door and by force take those 12 seed words. Yeah, depending on how you store them, it might be possible. But there are so many creative ways to store 12 seed words where nobody can take them, that in effect you can truly own and protect your Bitcoin against anybody no matter how much force they bring to bear against you. The worst they can do is take away your physical assets and even ultimately your physical life, but they can never take your Bitcoin against your will. That's a powerful principle. That is the principle of ownership. And while it may not seem so advantageous on the surface, the fact that there is at least one thing that you can truly own gives you as an individual the possibility to be sovereign over that one thing. Sovereignty, that's the property of being a king, of having the right the authority to disposition your possessions according to your decisions, the ability to actually own something and control that thing, to be lord over your own wealth. That's such a foreign concept in today's world, but that's what individual sovereignty is about. It's about being lord over your own possessions, something that used to be so self-evident. That was the foundation of capitalism in the days when the United States was founded. The capitalism of today, not so. But Bitcoin brings that back because it gives you something that you can actually own. And I want to emphasize now that having even just one thing that you can own, that you can be sovereign over, changes everything. Because... All of a sudden, people have a choice. People have a choice between buying this expensive car or this expensive house or this expensive land that can be taken away by the force of government, or they can choose to store their wealth in terms of Bitcoin. They can buy Bitcoin and they can actually hold and protect and guard that as a sovereign, as a king with an army, without needing an army and without needing force. That's the non-aggression principle we talked about in anarcho-capitalism, okay? So when you have that choice, it doesn't mean necessarily that you don't want a car or you don't want a house or you don't want land or whatever, but the fact that you have that choice means that when push comes to shove, when the oppression gets too bad, whether it's through thieves, whether it's through government thieves, (laughs) or whether it's through any other way, You always have that other way that you can put your wealth in Bitcoin and guard it and protect it until you find a different world, a different circumstance, a different place, different laws, a different nation, a different ideology under which you can begin to change your wealth back into physical goods that are respected and protected by the people around you. As long as there is that way That possibility to own something for real and to be sovereign over that, it gives you the relief valve, the escape valve from a world that has gone crazy. And that's a precious thing. That is going back to this definition from Wikipedia. It says that anarcho-capitalism seeks to abolish centralized states in favor of stateless societies with systems of private property Enforced by private agencies, the non-aggression principle, free markets, and self-ownership. All things that are embodied by Bitcoin. Which all this extends the concept to include control of private property as part of the self. That's deep. That means, first of all, that you possess yourself. But it secondarily means that your private property is an extension of yourself. And so to the degree that you are sovereign over yourself, you're also sovereign over your wealth. That is incredible. And that's what Bitcoin allows. It allows the control, sovereignty, lordship, control of your private property as a part of self. In other words, just as you control your behavior, just as you control your decisions, anarcho-capitalism says, so you should also be able to control your personal property. That's a beautiful concept. That's true sovereignty. That's being a king. It's not about how big your realm is. It's about the fact that you do have a realm. Not everybody can administer a large kingdom, but everybody should have the opportunity to administer what they are able to. So that was kind of a (laughs) deep dive into what anarcho-capitalism is. And Javier Millet, who's just been elected the next president of Argentina, is an anarcho-capitalist. So he espouses, to some degree or another, these principles. And obviously is going to work towards moving Argentina in this direction. And some of the obvious ways that he has mentioned that he's going to pursue doing that, disbanding the central bank, so that there's no longer a bank to devalue the peso. And part of that then is dollarizing, dollarizing the nation, which some people see that as a negative thing because the dollar comes with its own problems. But if you look at it from the perspective of having one less currency in the world, one less way that governments can interfere with the free market, one less way that it is harder to own what you own, then it's arguably a step in the right direction. But again, I go back to the whole criticism of politics and politicians, and this comes back to the question of, will Javier Malay actually do good for the country in the long run? Or will he be just like Donald Trump in the U.S., under whose term the country went further down the path of demoralization. I'm not convinced that Javier Malay, I mean, who is he to me? How can I trust him? People on the ground in Argentina, many people see him as like any other politician that just says whatever he says just so that he can get elected. What we really need is A system that takes away the power of people like Javier (laughs) Malay. What we really need is a system like anarcho-capitalism, or more specifically, Bitcoin, that implements these properties that anarcho-capitalism seeks to attain, so that we no longer have to trust or put our hopes in politicians. So... The one thing I am looking for is for him to open the way for Bitcoin in Argentina. And it doesn't really matter if he does it or not. The people will find a way. They already are. But if he can accelerate that, more power to him. And, you know, there are important, influential people like Max Kaiser, like Samson Mao from El Salvador, who are pursuing talks with him to educate him, so to speak, on how Bitcoin can serve to help him with his intentions for Argentina. So I'm really happy about that. And I hope that that actually turns into a positive thing. And it doesn't mean that Argentina is going to do the same things that El Salvador has done. I think those involved there in El Salvador are the perfect ones to advise any country on Bitcoin adoption for the simple reason that they've seen how things have gone in El Salvador and they've seen both the good and the bad. They've seen what works and what doesn't work and they are in the best position simply to direct a round two with the next nation. Okay, So I don't expect Argentina to follow exactly the same blueprint that El Salvador created. That's not the point. But the point is just that Free markets are allowed to work with Bitcoin and that the people are able to have that self-sovereignty, that control, not only of themselves, but of their private property, first and foremost, their money, which is possible in the form of Bitcoin. And secondly, that can foster the protection of personal property in the physical world, physical assets. So, All right, so I think we've covered that news, at least in the aspects that I wanted to address. And I hope that that was informative, helpful in its perspective, and ultimately that it encourages you, wherever you are, to work toward that same goal of taking the reins, taking the reign over your own life and over your own wealth. When you, as an individual, invest your energy, your time, your life into doing something productive for others. And when you are rewarded for that in some form, when you have the ability to take that reward and to store it by holding it in the form of Bitcoin, buying Bitcoin with it, trading it for Bitcoin, and then holding that Bitcoin sovereignly under your own private keys in a way that you can protect and defend that value and secure it against all the opponents in this world. That gives you power as an individual. That gives you the freedom to be able to choose how your energies are ultimately used and what they ultimately go to support. That is freedom. When you work by contrast in a system that decides for you what you can own and what you can't, and how you can spend your money and when and how much of it and how long it lasts and all these things, that is a system of slavery. And that's the system that the world has transitioned into or is transitioning into with the central bank digital currencies and the whole fiat globalist world system. In such a system of slavery, you are taught, what they want you to learn. You're made to think what they want you to think. You're made to do what they want you to do. All the while, they give you the illusion that you are free. You can choose chocolate or vanilla. You're free. You have free choice. So it seems. But what if you want strawberry? They make your world. And within that world, they give you the appearance of freedom. But are you really free if you're bound inside that world? True freedom is being able to create your own world. True freedom is being able to decide how to use the creative powers that God has given you to make the world around you a better place, better for you and better for others. True freedom is deciding for yourself what's important to learn, what's important to do, how your life force is ultimately spent. Each one of us, has a limited amount of time in this world. And it should not be in the power of other people to decide how you use that time. And to the extent that others decide for you how to use that time, or how to use the money that is produced through that time, you are the slave to them. You are the slave to those who decide for you. If you can't spend the money in your bank account on a particular thing because it's against the rules. If you can't spend the money in your bank account because the transaction is above the limit, you're in bondage, you're a slave, and you've just reached the edge of the wall. You've just reached the fence when you hit those limits. And that's the reminder that you're not free. Within the fence, you might seem to have freedom. You can walk here and there and to and fro, but it's a small world inside that fence. And that fence is getting smaller every day. That's not freedom. That's not how God intended you to live. And I just want to bring this all back to the Bible now. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is about freedom. It's about slavery and freedom. It's about the slavery that mankind entered into when Eve ate the forbidden fruit. She trespassed the law of God and became a slave to the one she obeyed namely the serpent. She fell into bondage and Adam with her. And the entire story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about the journey of mankind from bondage back into freedom. God designed us to be free, free agents, free to do good and not to be bound. And this story is told in so many ways. In the book of Genesis, there's the story of Joseph who was in prison. He was bound, but he became free. He became second to Pharaoh. He became a king ruling over the entire land of Egypt. God designed his people to reign. Then there's the story of the Israelites who became slaves in the land of Egypt. They were in bondage and God led them out. He led them out of Egypt and he made them a nation of kings. A free people. They went into captivity again. And again, he led them back to their own land, not to freedom, though, until Jesus Christ came. And Jesus Christ introduced to the nation of Israel and to the world a new perspective on freedom and what it means to be sovereign. He gave his life, but he gave it willingly. He chose to die on the cross. It wasn't suicide. Others killed him. But at the same time, he did it willingly. He chose to do it. Nobody could have taken his life against his will. That's the act of a king. That's the act of someone who possesses themselves, who is in control of his decisions and of his actions. And Jesus rose again as a king, as a conqueror, having complete victory over the bondage That Israel was still subject to. Where are we today? The world by and large is in bondage, but God's plan revealed in the book of Revelation is again to take his people who are in bondage and make them a nation of kings and priests once more. How is he doing that today in this generation? He's doing it by providing a system called Bitcoin, a system that allows you To possess yourself and the products of the life that he has given you. I urge you, on a matter of principle, to put your earnings into Bitcoin. Don't put it into a bank. Put it into Bitcoin. And learn how to guard that in the proper way, under your own private keys, so that you can be a king, sovereign over your own being, free to disposition your energy in the way that you choose for the glory and honor of God and not according to the perverted interests of unseen principalities and powers that are in control of the existing financial system. You can convert your wages in a very practical way, most of you, no matter where you are in the world, by utilizing services like BitWage and others that can assist you in receiving your wages, no matter who you work for, in the form of Bitcoin. And be creative, forge new ways of living life as a sovereign. Jesus was Lord over all, and yet, as a man, he didn't demand recognition for that. He didn't demand physical things, even though he owned it all. You can follow his teaching today To lay up for yourselves treasures of a spiritual nature, not of a physical nature. Treasures that don't decay, that don't inflate into nothing over time. Treasures that thieves cannot steal. That's Bitcoin. It doesn't decay, it doesn't inflate. And when it's kept properly, thieves cannot steal it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his justice. The justice that says... Your own life and the products of that life should be in your hands, in your control, to dispose of as you please, and then use that freedom for good. That's what Jesus taught. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then the physical things will be added to you. You'll have what you need. The food and the clothing and the housing, it'll come. Be creative. Find ways. Bitcoin adoption is a chicken and egg problem. You can't spend it if nobody's accepting it. Nobody wants to accept it if people aren't spending it. So you've got to start somewhere and you've got to just keep trying. Anytime you need something from someone, from a store or an individual, introduce them to Bitcoin and urge them to accept it as a payment in exchange. And anytime that you are providing a service or product to another person, ask to be paid in Bitcoin or utilize a service like I mentioned to be paid in Bitcoin even without asking the other person. And in that way, one by one, we transition society away from the slavery and debt mindset into the mindset of a king with dominion over his realm, of a king who is sovereign over his own being and all that he produces. Fascinating, fascinating exploration of this subject of anarcho-capitalism today. And it's very much in line with what God wants to accomplish, what he has revealed in his word from beginning to end. So take that to heart and do everything in your power to make the steps in the right direction wherever you are. You might not be in Argentina, but wherever you are, you can make a difference in the world around you. First of all, to step out of a system of slavery and step into a system of, of responsibility, of rulership, of sovereignty, where you have the capacity to choose to do good. Step out of the kingdoms of this world and step in to the kingdom of God insofar as Bitcoin represents his kingdom here on earth. And in that way, align yourself and then look up and see that your salvation is very near. Soon you will step into eternity. And if you've learned to be a king here on earth, and if you've learned to practice justice here on earth, and to live according to God's principles here on earth, then you will be fit to do so for eternity in heaven. I hope to see you there. But until then, we can meet each other on the blockchain. God be with you. God bless you. Please support this podcast. Share it with others who you think it will benefit. My lightning address is... Bitcoin sermons at fountain.fm. You can contact me at BitcoinSermons at substack.com. You can find all my episodes at Bitcoinsermons.substack.com. And you can find me on the censorship resistant platform of Noster at BitcoinSermons. Until next time, stay sane. Bye bye.